Greetings, everyone. Hi, I am Jay Love, and welcome to Turning a Moment into a Movement. I also represent the Justice for Gerard movement. Gerard was my son who was wrongfully incarcerated for a crime he didn't do. Innocent, and he went to prison for that crime. Served two years in the Michigan of the um, Department of Corrections. Came home, and most recently, he passed away. But we still are committed to this movement. We're committed to educating our community about justice. And so I want to thank you for joining us today. I want to say hello to everyone who's watching on Twitter today and on YouTube as well as Facebook. Greetings to everyone. Thank you for joining us. So um, today we're going to have a really great conversation with two uh, people who are fighting for prison reform um, in our community. And they're doing it. They have a different approach and a, they're working on a different narrative um, or changing the narratives. So um, we're going to invite in one of the people who are who is always here with us every week is Revitia. Hi, Revitia. Rabbitia, you on mute. <laughs> well, hello there. I, you know, I'm supposed to know this by now. <laughs> and and yes, Larry Holman reminded us we have no no peace, no justice. And and we are here every Friday um, to remind us, remind ourselves just how important we are and how mm -hmm. we can do this. Um, so Jay, I just want to thank you. I spend a lot of time um, with social justice issues, working with, uh, I am one of the executive um, members of Michigan Coalition of Human Rights. I sit on also the Michigan Social Justice Network um, Forum. I am a minister at Transforming Love Communities that I love. Um, I'm always into transforming the narratives. I basically, that's what I do. I am the owner of the choice zone and I try to help people get in their zone. And as a people, we need to get in our zone. And that means knowing who we are, knowing, not only knowing our purpose, but rewriting the script for our mm -hmm. lives and mm -hmm. not being afraid and joining with people who have humanity on their mind. Yes. It doesn't matter what kind of leader you are. If you are not a leader who loves people and who wants all of humanity to walk in and receive fair justice and get rid of disparity, then you are not a very good leader. So I am praying for our leadership not only as a nation, but different corporations and just people everywhere that we need to walk in who we are and knowing that we are human for a reason and we need to use yes. our loving capabilities. Yes, yes, Reverend Tia, because love is the key. That's the key. <laughs> yes. So we're going to bring in our guests. And which is cool because I'm so excited for her to be here with us. Hi, Dr. Anita. Hey. Be here. Yes. Be here. 
So Dr. Anita, please introduce yourself to our uh, uh, audience and tell them who they, who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Well, first and foremost, I'm a mom and a grandmom. Um, I do a few things in the, in the essence of one thing, and that's helping people get their life better. That's basically what I do. I do it in the way of being a Michigan Unemployment Appeals Advocate, where I help unemployed workers, prepare them, consult and represent them in front of administrative law judges. Um, I'm an author, spoken word artist, uh, metaphysical uh, physician, part of Transforming Love Community, which I love too. And then yes. also I'm uh, part of a wonderful sister movement, Dr. Harbina Rai, the founder, uh, global president. I've just recently been blessed and honored with the role of serving as global chair with the um, prison reforms and reintegration wing. And mm -hmm. since then, uh, this has been, I'm gonna say two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I have been doing so much research and learning so much about what's going on, not only in the United States of America, but across the globe. And mm -hmm. definitely, 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 there needs to be a, a, a renewal of, of policy mean the reform because i even re researched what is there a difference between uh uh, uh uh reform and transform because i, I mean I, that's how deep i was into this thing and then i i just learned that okay reform means oh i have to stop this when the power of love overcomes the love of power the world jimmy so because i when i saw jimmy Hendrix, jimmy Hendrix was my man so i had to stop for a moment to read that uh read read uh, what that gentleman had on the thing but yeah there's so much that needs to be changed and and then um made new within yeah. the now where where i'm at because this is um it's not solely uh sisters in in this organization there are men however our emphasis is going to is placed on uh the female penal system uh, globally you know united mm -hmm. states globally and uh so that's basically what what i'm doing uh with that uh, inspiring musician you know, because I want to put music with my spoken word. So basically, it's all the same thing. Every single thing that I do is, hey, you know what? All I want to do is uh, uplift and inspire. Uh, yeah. And I just want to do that by way of showing peace and love. Like my thing, we had a uh, in, in, in the Oneness and Wisdom global uh, wing that I was in at one time. It was still my family. Um we have this sister sensation. This is what what does sisterhood mean to you? And and even I thought about it. I said, in summing it up, being you know, keep kiss it, kiss it, sweetheart. You know, keep it simple, sweetheart. To me, sister sisterhood is making time, loving my sister enough where I make time for her, not just have time. So for me, what my thing is is that everything that that's being done is is making time. Now I do have my creed because my creed is God first, family second, 
and, and career third. And that's been my creed since my daughters who are moms and wives now since they were babies. So that's my creed, but but I work things in, you know, in, in that spectrum because my, my family, you know, my friends come into my family. So you learn how to work it, you know what I mean? So that, that it works. I'm an energy gal. I believe that every single thing is energy. It can't be changed, can't be for, you know, uh, 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 created. It can't be destroyed, but doggone it, we can change that. We can, we, we have the dominion and the power and the authority to change it because we are power and authority. I'm one who my my uh, mission now is to to share with all of us. You know what? We have been so busy. We have so many years and times have been concentrating on our unworthiness, this uh, this and that and the other. That I think we we need to bring back so we can become to start to get more balanced. We're also divine. We're also divine. And and I, I, I my message from this day on is as 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 long as I can say it and as much as I can say it, I say, come on, come on, y'all. Let's all get together in peace and love. Let's tap into that divinity that we have because all the other stuff will then start to start to to mold within that power of, of that divinity. Because now, like what do you say, Reverend said, energy flows where thought goes. If I'm thinking on my divinity, then then that's where my energy is gonna go. And that energy is going to heal whatever imperfection, whatever uh, um, thing that needs healing in my soul. Like you say, uh, Reverend Tia, uh, let my soul my, grow to glow. And I love that. Every time I say that, I put it, I, I, I mentioned you, sis. That's 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 what my sister says. That's why I got to give her props. So that's basically who, who I am. I'm an easy <laughs> energy gal that just says, I just want us to be happy. I know that. I know that's right, Dr. Anita. <laughs> yes, um, Larry said we need to for forgive ourselves so we can, can then forgive everyone else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And know that whatever we did, whatever we, there was a consciousness at that time, and a consciousness is always an awareness, and an awareness, there are levels of awareness. And as mm -hmm. we mature and grow and, and get better and get more seasoned, alluringly seasoned and marvelously mature with age, we come to know that, hey, an awareness of consciousness is an awareness and an and awareness to know that, hey, yesterday my, I was there and today I'm here and today ain't got nothing to do with yesterday, only to the fact that, Lord, by the grace of God, I am who I am today because of yesterday. Yes. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Anita. I mean, that's a blessing. Ain't no curse. Blessing. Yes. <laughs> so I see Attorney Hugo Mack has arrived. Uh-oh. Much, much love and respect. How y'all doing today? Good. How you doing? Good, good. Woo! Look here, look here, sister, sister Anita. I think I'm in pretty good shape, but dang. I got tired of listening to all your credentials. Oh, my goodness, you wore me out. You know, hey, look here, sister. Hey, ain't enough lumber in the Grand Tetons to print your resume. Let me tell you something right now. You know, I'm sitting here listening, marveling you. Your business card must be the size of a billboard, you know? Seeing to me, you one of them sisters got to rent a U-Haul just to have your business cards around. You know, I'm, I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm thoroughly impressed. All I'm asking is... Look, all I'm asking, sister, put me to the head of the line at your book signing convention. That's all you got to do for me, okay? So, 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 so look. Oh, that was, that was, that was, that was, that was, 
<laughs> so, so, so look, look here, Attorney Hugo J. Mack Esquire, you know, proud to be here through the grace of God and Jesus Christ. Unlike some people in my profession, I didn't parachute from heaven to be with y'all today. Through Jesus Christ, I came up from hell to be with y'all today, okay? So I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of my sisters and brothers in the struggle. Uh, Jay Love will tell you, I don't mean no harm. I don't mean no harm. So, so it's, a kind of, it's, a kind of, it's a kind of thing where I just dedicate my life to fighting for the wrongfully convicted, for the overly convicted. Haven't had a penitentiary experience myself, paying a debt I do not owe. I know the trauma and distress and absolute despair that prison walls can bring to the guilty and the not so guilty and the innocent. So I'm proud to be here. Um, Jay Love has allowed me always to put hmaclaw.com as your hookup, hmaclaw.com as your hookup, hmaclaw.com as your hookup. If you find your car on Rex Street, Police Street, Jail Street, get that hoopity over to Mac Street if you want some relief. So that's what you got to do. So I love you and I'm glad to be here, sisters. I love you. I'm glad you're here too, Attorney Matt. Matt. All right. Okay. Love you, Reverend (laughs) I don't know why I I have feedback, but but, um, um, we're going going on and um, play the video. video. On any any given day day in the United States, States, around 2 million million people are being being held in federal, state, state, local, local, immigration, and other detention centers. When you look at who comes under under control overall over the year, that number is closer to 10 million people, which is roughly the populations of New York City and Chicago combined. Now let's break that down. Of that nearly 10 million, more than 5.5 million people end up behind bars. 600,000 of those are sent to prison, and about 4.9 million of those are put in jail. Then there's the folks on probation and parole, which comes out to roughly 4 million people under supervised release. So how did we get here? Mass incarceration started in the 1970s with Richard Nixon's thinly veiled racist agenda known as the war on drugs. Then Ronald Reagan took things a step further with his tough on crime policies. When he started his first term in 1981, the total prison population was a little more than 329,000 people. When he was heading out the door in 1989, it had nearly doubled to more than 627,000. Bill Clinton added fuel to the fire with his 1994 crime bill, which led to higher rates of incarceration and longer prison sentences. Marginalized communities felt the brunt of tough on crime policies then and are still feeling it today. People of color make up a disproportionate amount of those incarcerated in comparison to the general population. For instance, in 2017, Black people made up around 12% of U.S. residents but accounted for about 33% of the U.S. prison population. Comparatively, white people made up 64% of the population, but only 30% of those in prison. Also overrepresented behind bars are survivors of sexual violence. 86% of women in jail are survivors of sexual assault, and 77% report a history of intimate partner violence. Another perhaps overlooked issue is the number of older adults who are incarcerated. Despite older Americans being one of the least likely groups to recidivate, Almost half of people serving life without parole are 50 or older. On the flip side are young people. On a given day, more than 48,000 youths are under correctional control outside their homes. 
The majority of these young people are in juvenile detention facilities, but around 4,500 youths were held in adult prisons and jails in 2019, putting them at a higher risk for sexual abuse. While the current structure upends the lives within its walls, the criminal legal system affects people on the outside too. Nearly half of all adults living in the U.S. have had an immediate family member incarcerated for at least one night. That's approximately 113 million people. One in four has had a sibling incarcerated, one in five has had a parent incarcerated, and one in 34 people has had an immediate family member spend 10 or more years in prison. Clearly, mass incarceration is far-reaching in its impact, but is locking up millions of people keeping the country safe? The simple answer is no. There's ample evidence that higher rates of incarceration don't lead to lower rates of crime. This includes violent crime, which is often called upon as a justification for locking people up. Instead, reduction in crime has been explained by factors such as increased employment, higher wages, and improved graduation rates. In other words, investments in people, not jails and prisons, leads to a decrease in crime. Despite this evidence, the United States spends roughly $81 billion each year on mass incarceration. While programs investing in housing, healthcare, education, addiction treatment, mental health, and other initiatives proven to make people safer are vastly underfunded. The data is clear. Mass incarceration doesn't keep people safe, but public safety models that actually invest in the public do. So, we see how we get there. We got there. <laughs> um, the war on drugs, the narratives, the war on drugs, it's your brain on drugs, all of those narratives got us in a place of uh, mass incarceration. Um, and all those narratives are still uh, working today, you know, showing up today in um in um mass incarceration how things are going on today so we're talking about from um reagan what's the reagan all the way to you know now go ahead Reverend Tia. yeah you know i'm so glad that you're talking about uh the narrative because um it's something that we have accepted first of all war War on drugs. Mm -hmm. What are we warring after? And, and I have to say that we need to ask ourselves, how much emphasis do we really place on the term war? And how does that term excite people into action against something? And, and we know that when we focus on anything for intentionally for a long period of time, we continue to draw more of what of that thing that we say that we're warring after that we really don't want. But in actuality, we're having more of it. Now, check this out. What I'm looking at on a continual basis, you know, because a lot of times people will use the Bible and they'll say, whatever you sow, you will reap. Whatever you're sowing into, whatever you're cultivating into, whatever you're growing, whether it's in your mind or in your imagination or whether it's out in the community, whatever you're focusing on, you'll get more of that. And so if I'm focusing constantly on drugs and if I'm putting before the people 
consistently every day that there's a war on drugs. The war is on drugs and we've got to stop the drugs and it's in your community. The people in the community, believe it or not, like we see, believe the narrative. It's not a war on treating people right. There's no war about that. There's no, there's no, there's no effort to um, take care of people for mental health. What about that? And most of the people who find themselves behind bars, they have done the studies and that proves that they also deal with mental health issues. And in addition to that, when they go into prison or become incarcerated, when they come out, those symptoms are pervasive, greater than when they went in. And it does not make sense. It doesn't make sense. But how many of us have bought that narrative, bought into it? I can't live here anymore because it's dangerous. It's too dangerous for me to live here. Where people are afraid of people who look like themselves. And this is, <laughs> these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. We have to go deep into this and, and change it. So what is the new narrative, you know? But let's keep, let's keep going with this because I know that, um, the people on the panel have something to say. And I'm so excited that Dr. <laughs> Nita's here because the data on women incarcerated globally is mm -hmm. astounding. Right. Go ahead, Dr. Nita. Yeah, it really is. You know, first, what, what I was thinking, the first thing, and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm really not. I'm just saying what's on my mind and what popped into my mind. Um, when we thinking about the war on drugs, two things I thought about New Jack City when he was on trial and said, uh, you know, ain't no poppy fields up in here in New York. So where they coming from? So that's what, you know, that's what I was thinking about. And then, <laughs> and then the second thing, when I think on war on drugs, drugs is an inanimate thing. War is the activity of living entities that are um, against or fighting one another. So the war on drugs, is there really, like you said, Reverend Tia, you know, the narrative renaming something, what is the war on drugs? It's not the war on drugs, perhaps, um, changing the word from war, but, and then changing the whole spectrum, the plight or the challenge or the opportunity to change the, 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 the narrative or the, the, the reality or the illusion of what is happening with the people that are engaged in this activity of, of, this transaction of this inanimate uh, product, if, if you will. As far as the women, I mean, it's, it's 
from what I understand now, um, women incarceration has just skyrocketed. I'm still doing research. I'm not sure if this is actually uh, the factual thing, but from what I've researched so far is that the number one reason women are uh, being first arrested and then sentenced and then incarcerated is substance abuse. The second reason is property offenses. Um, and then when you think about the substance abuse, because that's what that's what we want to tackle first in the prison reforms and reintegration, is understanding what is what exactly and how is I, I wrote this down that young sister on the, on the video said addiction treatment as opposed to substance abuse treatment. That was a new term for me. Um, we want to look at how effective is this addiction treatment while women are being in, in, incarcerated. Um, and then the point of incarcerating, yes, of course, you know, there's some of us who may have, you know, started on drugs because we wanted to experiment, because we wanted to be like what, what our friends are doing. However, that's a low, that's a low number with that. So the, the one thing that we want to concentrate is that survival mode, that's physiological uh, um, mindset in, in life. What was it like before being arrested? Because if we're talking about that I was arrested for substance abuse, that means I was using it before I was incarcerated. So if I was using before I was incarcerated, what was the fight of my life like? What was going on? What needs to be happening prior to that preventative measure and I'm meaning addictive treatment, substance abuse treatment. Um, I just learned in El Salvador, women, now this isn't substance abuse, but I learned it, uh, uh, there was a documentary, women in El Salvador being sentenced up to 50 years for having a miscarriage or having an abortion. United States, the the the, the from what I understand, this is a young uh, lady doing her dissertation, and she's putting up a plethora of information. The Prison Flow Project or Flow Prison Project, accordingly to her, there are 138 state and federal prisons in the United States for female, you know, female uh, incarceration or prisons. However, there are 1,500 and something prisons in the United States. 138 for women. Michigan has one. Michigan has one. So right now, all of the country chairs, what we're doing is, is looking at one, uh, try to get stats on how many women were sentenced for a substance abuse issue. What is that substance abuse or addiction treatment like in the penal system? And what is since it's, it's it's so minimal as far as as far as the penal system for females? What is the what is the maximum capacity of this of this one particular institution within these different countries? And 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 what is the population? You know, because when I was at Ryan Correctional Facility, not not in prison, of course, it was a, a men's facility, but I worked there for four years, and one of the things that I would I would speak with the brothers walking the ground or whatever, whatever. I would just talk because they were just so talented in what they did. I mean, I mean, stellar as far as portraiture, carpentry, whatever, working with their hands and minds. And I would just talk with them and one I would ask them one question over and over, and I got the same answer. 
And I would ask, how did you know that you were so talented? When did you, you know, realize this? And each and every single last one of them told me, I didn't know what I had until I was forced to, to sit still and think on something. So my thing, I was thinking, wait now, if there's so few uh, uh, female institutions for, for women, when are they, do they actually get a chance to have that still moment? Because now I'm talking that survive, that fight, flight, free, that, that, that free, you know, that, 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 that amygdala. I'm talking about that limbic system now. How often, how many years, how, how often or how con, con, chronically or continuous are these women in this survivor mode? Why doesn't every home? To be into to be uh, released or reintegrated back into society, but yet the survivor mode issue has not been addressed. That's a big issue. That needs to be reformed. That needs to be transformed. That is a serious thing. So that, as far as the uh, prison reforms and reintegration, that's one of the first things that we are we are dedicating ourselves to um, looking into and seeing what we can do, how we can make that better. Jay, you got to unmute. Sorry, Attorney Matt, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. First of all, I apologize. I don't know what it is causing my system to feedback with you. I've had this thing checked like five times. I, I'm not sure. So I, I, I apologize. But if you nod your head, I know you can hear me. Okay. 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 Look, first of all, the sister really tickled me when she talked about New Jack City because I was about to talk about that myself. I've only seen that movie about 80 times. See, Nino Brown, uh, uh, a fictional character for Nikki Barnes, Bumpy Johnson, Frank Lucas, you know, uh, the, these folks here, uh, what the sister said is true. But part of the problem is, particularly with our youth, we tend to glorify that, okay? You know, we, we tend to glorify that. On uh, I don't know if it's Epic or whatever, they had a series about uh, Bumpy Johnson in New York, and they had Forrest Whitaker playing playing the role. Now, now this man is pushing heroin, destroying hundreds of thousands of black lives, but they showed him in a sort of a humanistic way, like, well, he was a supporter of Malcolm X, and he was a supporter of uh, of the uh, of the the Black Congress, Adam Clayton Powell, uh, you know, and and fighting against racism. And, and the thing of it is, is that I, I know that that's probably fairly accurate, but the message it sends to our youth is really conflicting. You know, um, I'm sure uh, Sister Anita remembers New Jack City, where he even had the preachers coming to get money, had the preachers coming to get money, you know, and trying to justify and then giving out turkeys, you know, which is where uh, Chris Rock, Pookie, ended up, you know, getting a job in there with him. So um, it, it, you're right, it, it's a war, but it's a war oftentimes that we, through some of our own greed, end up shooting our own soldiers, you know, and enslaving our own soldiers, uh, not concerned for the people being harmed, but more concerned for, 
for for momentary uh, financial gain, you know. So um, that is something I deal with every day in, in Ipsy and in Detroit, you know, where a lot of my clients live, trying to fight that lure that they have, you know, skip getting a job at McDonald's, you know, I can make four or $500 a day slinging this, slinging this crack, you know, and, and it's a, it's a hard battle. It is, especially when people are hungry and despaired, but we keep on pitching the best game we can. Jay, we can't hear you. I'm sorry, you guys. I didn't know I was still muted. <laughs> but these are some of the stats that um, we're um, looking at every day or, you know, our reality of the U.S. prison population. Reverend Tia, go ahead. Yeah, this is, this is, you know, every time I see these numbers, I am just astounded, you know, and and how do we get here? You know, people need to understand that 
It didn't just happen overnight, that law by law, act by act, these changes happen. And that's why when we say go to the polls, get to the polls and people say, well, no, my voice is not heard. Well, yeah, sometimes it's not. But for certain things, we can vote and, and we need to radically make some changes here because change was radically done one step at a time in our United States justice system that mm -hmm. is justice for just some of us, but not all of us. And so we need to understand that in 1984, the Comprehensive Crime Control and Safe Streets Act, I want you to hear how these words are termed, Crime Control and Safe Streets Act. So automatically what people need to hear and understand is they're saying that the crime is where you are and and that act eliminated parole in the federal system it got rid of parole it also because of that once that act happened it created a geriatric prisoners because people stayed there they weren't mm -hmm. coming out 1986, Anti-Drug Abuse Act. Anti-Drug Abuse Act. See, we need to understand the narratives. And, and even if we fast forward to when Obama had the Obamacare and everybody was excited and I, and I know, I mean, I wanted everybody to have access to health care. I'm with you on that. However, what did happen is when you really go through line by line and you understand that even in that law because they had to agree they had to come together and agree both parties I mm -hmm. need somebody I, I, I'm praying somebody come and forget the parties and come on a humanitarian ticket that's all I'm saying because they needed to agree on this law for health mental health for people with substance abuse. Now, let me tell you what happened. They had a whole genre of drug abuse that they allocated funding to for mental health. But if you had an opioid, if you had an opioid addiction, well, you got more money. Why? Because that was a whole, they got their own line item by itself. See, all the other behavioral health, substance abuse, went up under mental health. Opioid had its own line item, monies allocated just for that addiction. Why? Because the emphasis was that we don't want to criminalize people who have an opioid addiction. How do I see that? But we want to criminalize you if you have any other kind of addiction. Mm -hmm. We need to understand the language of how things are written. 1986 mm -hmm. Anti-Drug Abuse Act, mandatory minimum sentence, 100 to 1 ratio between crack and powder cocaine. Again, why? Powder cocaine was more respected. Oh, but you a good drug user. Because you got the powder, you must you must have more money and influence. You got pretty substance abuse. Mm -hmm. 
However, if you're if you're addicted to crack cocaine, same same as as cocaine. Oh no, you need to be locked up. This is what we need to understand. This is these are the narratives that need to be changed. We need to wake up and understand where monies are going, and how can we access for ourselves, for our communities? How do we get help? All of it is mental health. What if? What if? People who were in prison who had nonviolent crimes, because also with these acts, with these laws, nonviolent offenders were incarcerated long term. And so you have many people serving time for nonviolent crimes. But what if we assisted people who had mental health problems and all and released them so they could get the proper help? What if we did that? How much would our crime, how much not our crime, our prison numbers decrease? We need to make a difference. That's a, um, that's an excellent point, Reverend Tia. I was thinking about yeah, mental health, mind health treatment. When we get on drugs, why do we get on drugs? Because we have an issue with what's going on in our lives and how we are perceiving it. So we take care of that. And one thing, too, you mentioned like the language. When I was in probation, I worked at, uh, uh, with, um, before it was Michigan Department of Corrections, we worked in Wayne County Probation Department. And in the 80s, I believe it was in the 80s or early 90s, they stopped using the word offender and used just the word defendant. And I was surprised because I left the, the corrections in 1998. And one thing that I was surprised in doing my research, how many times I'm looking at the word offender. And I said, oh, I thought they didn't use that word anymore. And I'm thinking, I said, wait, because we all have a subconscious. We all have that humanness in us. We all have that judgments thing. So in my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute. If I'm walking into the courtroom as an offender, I've already offended. How many people actually say, oh, this? she's guilty. She is an offender. So I'm walking in already guilty because I've offended somebody as opposed to someone needing defending. Mm -hmm. Exactly. My turn to Okay, so okay. I feel there's some sign language in here. Okay, look here. Look here. <laughs> look here. I want to co-sign what Sister Powell just said, you know, as a criminal defense attorney, every time I go with a jury, one of the first things I do, the judges should know this, but one of the first things I do at a jury trial is control the narrative on terms, okay? I heard a man by the name of Kenneth Copeland say one time, when you hot a poor boy, I ain't coming. So what the prosecutor and court will do is refer to the person that is supposedly harmed as the victim. 
So the prosecutor, until I started objecting, was saying, you will hear from the victim, ladies and gentlemen, uh, John Smith or uh, Helen Reynolds, and the victim will tell you what happened to him or her. I had to correct them and continue to correct them. I said, Your Honor, say, instruct the prosecutor to say the complainant. And when you are talking to the jury in Voidir and you identify the people, don't say victim, Helen Reynolds. Don't say victim, John Smith, because you are programming that jury automatically to identify people in a trial. So subconsciously, there cannot be a victim without a victimization. And so if there's been a victimization, guess who the jury is looking at as the prime suspect? My client, all right? So I agree with what the sister said. Controlling the narrative on these terms is crucial in this fight. Jay, we can't hear you. Uh -oh. Is it me? Okay, sorry guys, it's me, it was me. <laughs> But it, back to the narratives, if you guys can hear me now. Can you hear me now? Ravatia, can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. You're good. Yes. Yeah. Lost Attorney Mac. Can you guys? Yes. Yeah, we yes. can hear you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Uh, texting. Yes, you're good, Jay. We can hear you. Look, and let okay. me tell you. I, so, yeah, I'm going to play the video and then I'll come back. Okay. Two point two million adults locked up in its prisons and jails. That's only slightly smaller than the population of Houston, America's fourth largest city. Many of the inmates are repeat offenders, which raises the age old question of what we want out of incarceration, punishment or rehabilitation. So prisoners do not return. One Scandinavian country is using a unique approach to achieve the latter. As part of our week-long series here at NBC News, looking at criminal justice reform, Kelly Kobiea travels to Norway for our Sunday Spotlight. In this vast forest of pine and blueberry is what some call the world's most humane prison. 
Halden Prison, where new inmates are greeted the way I was, with a handshake. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Drug smugglers, murderers, rapists, all doing time in a maximum security prison that feels more like a college campus. This is home? Yeah, this is home, yeah. Karsten was convicted of killing a man in Brazil. This is his cell block with a full kitchen, big screen TV, laundry room. You have a key to your own cell. Yeah, everybody has their own key. He and the rest of the prisoners are locked in overnight. The rest of the time, they choose when to lock the door to their cozy single bed cells with a TV and a private bathroom. I used to be in a prison in Brazil and there was a cell just a little bit bigger than this. And there used to be 15 people in the same room. The point here to turn criminals into good neighbors. Always have coffee on the go. Thank you. Rehabilitation, says the prison governor, starts on day one. We take the freedom from them. But uh, when they are here, we try to help them to get a better citizens. Inmates have a normal work week, giving them routine and responsibilities, training to be car mechanics and graphic designers in a state-of-the-art studio. From the city hall, we're getting jobs for the, from them. Learning skills like restaurant prep, where they're trusted to handle knives, can help them get jobs on the outside. They have weekends off and a house available for overnight visits with their families. Welcome to Criminal Records. <laughs> Richard is studying music. He's doing time for murder and served his first four years in a Swedish prison. I was very hateful myself when I came here, you know, because I come from a very, very hard prison system. They really, really hate the guards and the guard hate, hated us. Do I feel like a, a different person now? Yeah, I do. Here, guards and tutors work side by side with inmates, <laughs> playing chess or simply going for a walk. It's all about building relationships and trust, even with the prison boss. He looks so happy. It's an inmate who painted it. There are cameras and locks, but no weapons. And nearly half of the guards are women. But do you feel safe? Yes, I do. Why? Well, I mean, we, we get to know all the prisoners pretty well. We interact, but we're, we're with them all the time. Norway's model isn't cheap. $93,000 per inmate per year, three times more than in the U.S. But only 20% of inmates re-offend after two years. In the U.S., it's 60%. There's no death penalty, and life sentences were banned in 1981. Even mass murderer Andres Brevet, who killed 77 people in a 2011 attack, was given a maximum sentence of 21 years, though that is extendable. Conservative critics say Norway has gone too far. What about the victims who actually has this um, uh, feel really in, in, in justice that the people who commit this crime can actually live in this luxury. And if someone were to say to you, wow, this looks like a pretty luxurious lifestyle. Most of us are uh, going to see the outside for a long time, outside the world. But these men admit they've been helped here. Before I uh, think more like a criminal, but uh, now I start to think more like a normal guy, you know? If you treat an inmate uh, like an animal, he'd be an animal. If you treat an inmate with respect, he respect you back. He is a human being. Yeah, we treat them like human beings. Lessons many here believe could extend beyond these prison walls. For Sunday Today, Kelly Kobiella, Halden Prison, Norway.
So that's just an example of how the narrative, how you can change the narrative. <laughs> I mean, they invested more into the people. Programming, um, normalist, making them feel normal. I mean, um, if we look at how our system is set up, you know, how the man said, you know, had them as animals, you're gonna be treated as animals. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, our, our system is primitive. Yeah. Yes. That, um, I, I, I'm on the fence with that though. I guess maybe I'm gonna be the angel's advocate. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, as far as the extent to their luxury living. Mm -hmm. um, and then too, I, I would like to see, um, I would like to see how that compares with the female penal mm -hmm. system. But I, I mean, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, you, you know, I, I'm just, just on, on first thought, um, almost, in a way, it's almost like in, in my mind, I'm thinking as inhumane that our penal system is, that it, it, it must change on that other side. In a way, I think they went above and beyond. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I, I, um, I'm just feeling on the fence about how luxurious that or how freedom, you got your own key, you know, person with the knife. Uh, that took me back when I saw that. Um, the, um, what's the word? Not luxury, but the, um, how they're living. You have many people, hardworking people trying to make a living and don't live that well. And I, I don't know. That's just. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 get, I understand, Doctor Anita, because mm -hmm. I think um, sometimes it's like with, with anywhere else. We're not sure though, what steps did they take when they got there? You know, because um, if they are, if Norway is a place that. Has, from what I'm understanding, they're using more reconciliation techniques. And, you know, I always ask, what does reconciliation really look like for us? Um, can we even conceive of reconciliation? Because the truth of the matter is, once a crime is done, even if a person gets life, even if they get the death penalty, that does not bring the loved one back. It does not just, it doesn't, it doesn't mean justice was served. There's no sense of justice. And, and they've done studies and they've asked people, do you feel justified after it was done? And no, but there are reconciliation programs where the, they can feel a sense of justice. They, where people can get their life back. And, and I, I question too with you, what does life back really look like? And is it that, it's a more even kill more over in Norway than we, you know, because United States, if you look at any academic area, there are certain items within our system that if you 
do a cross study internationally, they will state we this will not this does not uh, <laughs> this cannot function in United States due to our own system of disparity and discrimination. You know, and we have been known for that, even academically. You know, and you have some psychologists now that are saying, why are we even listening to United States? Because they already come with a bias. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I mean, well, I'm we've been sure. programmed. We've been, yeah. So we've yeah, been Jay, so we programmed. Uh, we watch it on TV every night, CSI, all kinds of crime shows. We see them on movies. We see all this stuff that make us uh, normalize how we, we treat people who are uh, um, in prison. So we see that or we feel that, yeah, they have to be treated like they're the scum of the earth and real bad and eat crap and all that stuff to make them be corrected, you know, is that what we're seeing? Or, oh, and that's what we have done. And so the numbers have shown that it hasn't worked. Like a people areas of time hasn't stopped crying, uh, criminalizing and making things, you know, making it so easy for people to go to inside a prison hasn't stopped crying. So none of these things that has been implemented years and years ago hundreds of years ago, it's still not working. So then you see in another country on the flip side, they have extreme went the other, totally opposite the other way. They're treating people like human. They're giving them the space um, to be a person. They, they get to, you know, um, counseling and training. And so when they come home, uh, they're like, they're not treated inhumane. So they feel like they, although they were separated from society, they're still a part of society. So, you know, when we look at looking at these narratives that, you know, the things that we've been programmed to believe, and then there's people who are saying that just to see a different way, um, to feel a different way, have a mind about how we look at people and because I'm coming back home um, when we're looking at these, um, when we're having these conversations I think we need to look at both sides and maybe find a medium go that's ahead Dr. Anita yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's that's the way I feel because I'm thinking, not that I'm saying I'm against that Norway uh, programming. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I guess in my mind, one, I want to know how long has it been in, has it been implemented? How long have they been doing it? What type of longitudinal study? I understand they said only 20% or something came back. But in my mind, I'm thinking, though, too, from what I understand, to be, and I was just sharing with someone, um, having a conversation, to be in, in, to be punished, if you will, for a crime that okay that you that that I may have committed, to be sentenced 
to prison, that is my punishment. That has nothing to do with being treated inhumane. That has absolutely mm -hmm. nothing to do with being treated inhumane. Right. My thing is though with this in the Norway, what type of studies have they done? And you know, if it's that easy, if I can commit a crime and then go to this place that is so easy to live, which may have been better than where I lived in the first place, what would prevent me from saying, you know what, I'd rather stay in here. So let me go commit this crime because you even have even in, in people who have recidivism when they've gone back to like Shawshank Redemption. When that's true, when 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 the, when the older gentleman, when he couldn't handle it and he died by suicide because he couldn't handle being out there, be out because as Morgan Freeman said, he was institutionalized, you know? So he couldn't handle that. So, you know, so to, to have all of that freedom, um, I guess my point is, okay, well, where is the, where is the rec the punishment? I mean, okay, like that, the, the man said, somebody said the man killed 77 people. And he can get uh, released on on you know released and stuff as as if if one of my family members was one of his uh, that he took out. I don't know if I, I I'm just being honest. I don't know if I'd be sitting there. Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good system. I, I I'm just being real with it. I, I I really I do. I believe that I think more studies need to be done. Long long term studies to actually see is that also pre preventative because too much power can corrupt what they say, what absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, sometimes that freedom, too much freedom can, 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 can create uh, something to create more freedom. And if, if that makes sense, because if, if my situation in here is better than my situation out there, I have more freedom in here and I'm living, but I got this TV. I got, I didn't have this out there. So let me come back in here. They're not going to let me come back in here just because I'm not doing anything. I'm going to have to commit a crime to be able to come back into this, this, this setting. So what am I going to do? And I just think more studies. I, I just, you know, like I said, I'm not against it. However, I think more studies need to be done on that because I think that that way is a little extreme. Oh, you're and then, then oh, wait, Jay, you're on. Yeah, you're on mute. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, you guys. I'm having some today, some technical stuff going on. But oh, anyway, um, I read like they have universal health care. They have free daycare. They have uh, free college. So that's you cool. have, they don't have, the people who live there don't have all the stressors of life as we have here. And they might not have as high a rate of poverty. I don't know that for sure. So when you have a, um, a space where people are not living as in, you know, in poverty and you have um, opportunities, advantages, I think that, you know, so these people are giving, they're saying, okay, we are living a better way and we can treat others in a better way. Yeah. And I guess what I'm thinking of children too. I mean, you know, children, um, you know, raising children, what you do, you teach them to be responsible. 
Yeah. I mean, how do you teach them to be responsible? You teach them by way of lessons to learn. Um, sometimes, what do you do with children? Sometimes you take away things if they, to, as, as a corrective matter, I mean, you know, B.F. Skinner, you know, whatever, uh, 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 who are those other people, um, the psychologists and everything, but even, even on, on a, on a lack of a better word, natural level like that, raising children, you don't just give them freedom when they've done something. And I'm just, you know, of course, I'm thinking for absolute every single penal system, every every single institution should have more than adequate health care, more than access to education, more than 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 um, uh, 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 food. I mean, you know, uh, nourishment and nutrition. That has nothing to do with punishment. It is the confinement that is the punishment. For, mm -hmm. for doing a crime, not being treated inhumane, not being denied uh, uh, hygiene products. You know, like women in, in, in United States uh, penal systems are, are being denied or being sanctioned or added more sentence is the time is added on their sentence if, if they make a, a sanitary napkin or something. You, you know what I mean? Um, so mm -hmm. I guess that's what that's what I'm saying. I'm saying, okay, the natural selection of it all, if, if, if that makes sense. It, it it just I'm like okay, but we don't even treat our. I mean, that's not how we, in a society, um, promote or um, say it's okay. Mm -hmm. Because in a way, I'm thinking they're saying it's okay. It's not to me to say that something is okay. Again, that has nothing to do with with. Uh, I'm going to use the word, I don't care for it, that, but rehabilitation. Denying mm -hmm. someone their human right has nothing to do with punishment. That should not even be part of it. I don't know how that came about, the inhumane treatment, because that, to me, that is, di that, that is, that is diametrically opposing to what really the, 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 the prison system, what it was set up, what it was supposed to set up to do. And that was only to right. um, only to to separate or to to show this person, listen, I'm going to take away your freedom because you have to you have to learn or you have to try to to come to to come to grips with yourself to realize what, what you've done. And I'm not talking about those people that, you know, the, the innocent. I'm not I'm not talking about that. I'm talking me committing a crime. You know, back in the day, what was that saying? It pays the cost to be the boss. They don't mean okay, it pays the cost. I'm gonna go in here to this luxury hotel and I'm 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 gonna be I'm gonna be hanging real sweet. No, that means I have to pay some type of price because I did something. Mm -hmm. you, you know, yeah. Right. Attorney Hugo Matt. Well, first of all, hard to say where to start talking, okay? Um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I try to be to the point. When I ran for county prosecutor in 2020, one of the monarchs of my campaign was, we have some very bad boys and girls out here that ain't got no problem hurting me, you, and any and everybody you love, okay? And the reality is there are some people, some people who have such a disregard, first of all, for themselves, 
but then exhibited in a disregard for you and the people you love, that those people's conduct means they must be separated from society. They have to be. Mm -hmm. Because it's either separate them from society under law, or we go back to the wild, wild west and people taking law into their own hands. Now, having said that, having said that, and having been in a penitentiary for over 10 years, I can fully co-sign to the fact that the majority of people that work within the Department of Corrections in Michigan view themselves as your surrogate judge, jury, and executioner. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. I cannot begin to tell you the harassment, the racism, the racial slurs leveled against me and people who look like me just by a class. And what that sister said is right. The punishment is the separation from society. That's the punishment, whether you've earned it or not. That's the punishment. The punishment is not to be denied the right to go to the bathroom so you're not peeing on yourself. That's not the punishment. The punishment is not, Mac, I see you got that shirt not tucked in all the way in your pants. Get ready to take this misconduct ticket. That's not the punishment. The punishment should not be, Mac, you five minutes late coming back from a call out. I don't care if it's a blizzard outside. Get this misconduct ticket. That's not supposed to be the punishment. So what I'm saying is we got a mojo on us. First of all, we got some very bad boys and girls who deserve to be in a penitentiary. They deserve. We didn't put them there. They put themselves there. They deserve to be in a penitentiary. But you have most people that go to the penitentiary, even if rightfully convicted, do not deserve to be treated less than human. You see, that's the problem. So, so you've got the people who actually deserve to be there. And most people are in prison because some, some crime has been committed. You know, we don't mm -hmm. have 99% of the people, everybody's innocent. That's a lie. That's a lie. Right. But we do have a lot of people that have been overly convicted and wrongfully convicted. So what you have is bad actors there who don't give a damn about themselves, you, me, or the fellow inmates. They're geeking stuff up. And you've got the guards. You see, you got... You got, you got two types of criminals. The ones that have been labeled criminals, like myself, who wore a blue and orange outfit. And you have the ones that are being paid to be criminals by the state of Michigan. Their outfit is gray and black, okay? Some of them, their outfit is gray and black. So you got two classes of quote unquote criminals, one being paid by the state and one being paid for by you, you the taxpayer. So what I'm saying is when you have those two elements together, a person who may have made a mistake, it is a breeding ground for learning how not to make that mistake when you get out, okay? It's not that you're going to be rehabilitated because if you're rehabilitated, you're rehabilitating yourself. Yes. Let's get that straight right now. You are rehabilitating yourself. We had a buffoon who was elected governor because uh, uh, Jim Blanchard and, and the late Coleman Young got in a contest to see, you know, whose member was longer, a buffoon by the name of John Engler, okay, who was elected governor, all right, serving two terms. This man was audacious enough to say, I would stack them like cordwood if I could. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he politicized the parole board. The parole board was supposed to be like, like public servants, you know, uh, 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 the, the, the term uh, civil civil servants, civil servants, all right? 
John Engler changed that and made those people political appointments. So when he had his mantra of life means life, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. A person can be sentenced to life imprisonment other than like a first degree murder. And you, you can be released before, you know, your natural life expires. But this man said life means life. You will die in the penitentiary if I have my way. So what I'm saying is we do have to address the bad boys and girls. But I tell you, the biggest problem we've got to address is the institutionalization of racism. That's the mm -hmm. biggest problem we've got to address. Because as long as that racism is there, it will make the not so bad bad. And when those people are released, that mojo is going with them. And that's the real danger to us all. Wow. Yes, Attorney Higo, Matt. Wow. So I am um, grateful for this conversation. And it's really a, really a deep conversation and a really uh, a conversation that we need to continue because mm -hmm. we can't. We can't get the change until we, you know, get to some agreements on what the problem is and how we could um, fix the problems or, you know, work on a solution to those problems. I wrote some change of the narrative um, things. First, create opportunities for those who have been incarcerated to break out of the sociocultural conditioning. This can help support people to change their perspective and see the world through a different eyes and take on a different path. We can um, offer support for people affected by incarceration to tell their own stories, create greater awareness about the issues surrounding mass incarceration among the um, general public and addressing the growing population of the elderly and people who are in prison because people do age out of crime. So these are some of the kinds mm -hmm. of different narratives that we can look at when we're talking about reform and um, change within our prison system. Reverend Tia. That's right. mm -hmm. Yeah, you know what? Um, we, we have to reform. I, I really like our conversation because Reforming, I mean, I want to say abolish it, okay? I'm just going to say abolish it because we have to know why it was created. And prisons were created for African-Americans. Prisons were created to replace slavery. So you figure sure. the prison system came into effect in 1891. This is shortly after the 13th Amendment was ratified in 1865, which abolished slavery throughout the United States. However, the form of slavery that it abolished was chattel, which means that you cannot own another person and call them your property. However, you got to figure that in still in states like I think Texas, Georgia, and Florida, prisoners are working for corporations and they, <laughs> they are not getting paid. The, those prisoners in Florida and in Georgia and in, I believe, Texas are not getting paid while they are working as a prisoner for corporations who are getting free money. And this is a system 
that was started on the backs of black people to work for free to build the economy of the United mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. And That's so right. That's right. that change in 1965, they did not like that change. By the time, I'm, I'm sorry, in 1865, by the time 1891 rolled around, they started to see the effects economically put corporations that were affluent during slavery times could not reap the same bottom line. So they did, they couldn't make that much money. So they had to do something. We will build a system, another system. Mm -hmm. And it's the prison system. And these companies have been around for a very long time. And their banks, and their mortgage companies, and they still benefit from the initial investment of African Americans and the free labor that they provided unwillingly to all of the United States and not only the United States, around the world. We have to know the truth. The truth sets us free. So now that we know the truth, we need to be so vigilant about changing the narrative and not get caught up in the system. We got to have our own system. Yeah. I want to say a human system, a system that that's that is builds up humanity. I always say that as far as the intellect is concern you would think with all technology and, and the devices that we are now on right now you would think that humanly we had evolved but consequently some of us suffer retardation as far as humanity and compassion is concerned mm -hmm. yeah right to you you know, there's, um, let me get this thing. And, and I found this very interesting. It's called the First Step Act, Department mm -hmm. of Justice. And they have a whole plethora of different types of programming for, for inmates, both men and women. I thought this was something that maybe uh, if someone wanted a job in the penal system that they, you know, they could get hired, like anger management, apprentice training, Assert yourself for female, you see they got their word offenders. Uh, Barton reading and spelling system, basic cognitive skills. These are all things for, um, for inmates. And I was just wondering, uh, as far as like we, we were talking about programming, mental health, I like that idea, uh, Reverend Tia, about that mental health. I wrote it down, for, as a matter of fact, for the next, when our country chair, meeting is when is it next week i think whatever any on a saturday i don't know if it's tomorrow next uh, uh, next saturday when we meet i'm going to mention that that component mental health component with addiction substance abuse treatment but i'm just wondering we're talking about programming and i'm wondering moving forward would the first step act would the department of justice be the 
the place to go to in, when, when submitting proposals, when submitting ideas to see if they may be implemented into the penal system. Because I understand, you know, it's like, well, how can you know where you're going if you don't know where you've been? So mm -hmm. I understand what what you're saying, Reverend Tia, you, you know, that, that okay. And, and that's, that's something that has happened um, and and that's something that we need to know. Uh, and then on the same, on the same, and simultaneously, it's one of those. Okay, now that we know the, that this was the beginning of a problem, what is the solution? Yeah. Because we, you know, we, we can concentrate on that problem, but then we're going to stay on that problem. We'll, 20 years from now, we'll be on that problem until we get to a point to say, okay. Okay, well, what's the solution? What how can we make how can we turn this problem from a problem into a uh into a solution? Um, but yeah, they have a whole list, a whole host of uh social skills training. And one other thing that I saw, I somewhere I put it on, on my email that there's a program in the United States in one of the uh prison, one of the state prisons where they're they're, they've uh, begun a training program where they're instructing or, or guiding prisoners to learn something in their particular talent, as opposed to that's going to help them when 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 they're when they're reintegrated into society, where they're going to be able to not just survive but to thrive with with whatever what how what they've been you know learning as opposed to you know lumping everybody into one one kind of oh here you're going to learn this this is this is the rehabilitation so you're going to learn this and how many times i guess attorney mac i'm sure probably you probably will have stats and how many times people were released and and whatever they learned in, in the institute they couldn't do nothing with that mm -hmm. that yeah. help them get a job or even start their own business right you know, yeah you know and and if i if i can say this along with uh the good sister was saying there i preached for so so long when people are convicted it goes far beyond paying a debt yeah. because when you're convicted and sent to the penitentiary and you either max out or you're paroled and complete your parole, that debt has been paid. It has been paid. Right. And the problem we have, mm -hmm. we have the collateral consequences and vestiges of invidious racism that carries us, and I say us because it's disproportionate to us, outside that penitentiary. When I came from the penitentiary, I could not, and I'm not boastful, a man of well-educated means. Mm -hmm. I could not get a job at Myers stacking tomato cans See? because that conviction followed me. I could not advance my higher education without getting permission from the dean because that conviction followed me. I could not apply for a student loan, live in certain areas because that conviction followed me, okay? And what I'm saying is, what is part of the invidious racism is that unless you have a way to get that expunged, and to a certain extent in the state of Michigan, there has been movement to get certain things expunged, which is good, but it does not go far enough. 
Right. I do not care if a person has gone to prison, although I'm sad, if they went to prison for manslaughter. I'm sad that somebody's life is gone. But yet and still, we do not honor the memory of the person that is deceased by chaining the person involved in debt and debt and despair forever. Because right. all we're doing is we're creating a breeding ground for that to happen again yes. and again and yes. again. Yes. Okay. So, so you know, sisters, um, you know, I don't want to get emotional here, but you know, we got a hell of a mojo we got to deal with, you know, and yeah. and the only way to overcome it is with the power of God, because God is love, and love is stronger than anything else in earth, you know. know Amen. Right. And Attorney Matt, you know, piggybacking on what you just said, when you look at um, Finland and Norway and places like that, that have a different type of system, education is important to them. Um, That's right. Educating and investing in the people. Because like you said, if you chain these people to the offense for their entire life, and they can't do anything to make their life better or move forward. You are creating recidiv recidivism. Yeah. That's right. You're creating yeah. it. And so you're right. How do you honor that person or that family or those victims by keep right. keeping this person still in crime? You're not correcting anything. That's so right. So we have to, you know, get beyond these narratives, these things that make us fear, live in fear and um, think, have a mindset of fear and mm -hmm. open up to, to the humanity of people and find out, you know, getting to the core, to the root, why these things happen. So we have to look at the whole person and not just always the offense. That's right. Amen, J-Love. That's right. Yeah. Holistic, right. take a holistic approach to this thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's people, right. You know, you what happened 10 or 15 years ago might not be the truth for you today. Right. It might not be who you are today. Right. So we have to get to, right. We have to get to the core. We have to get to the root and we have to see people beyond the offense. That's right. So, all right, you guys. So we're going to wrap it up. I thank you for joining me, and I, and I want to tell, you know, uh, apologize to the viewers for all the issues. I don't know what was going on today, but we had quite a few. But I appreciate you sticking with us. Um, I thank you, Attorney Hugo Mack and Dr. Uh, Anita and Reverend Tia. We're going to do a part two to this conversation real soon. Um, I want to get this last with um, Larry said when people aspire to improve themselves for the benefit of society as a whole, they should be fully supported. Apps. Absolutely. 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 Yes. Yes. yes, you gave a lot of good nuggets today. I appreciate yes. you. <laughs> so you guys, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next Friday on Turning yes. a Moment into a Movement. Thank you. Everybody. Oh, yes. And hey, look here, Sister, yes. Sister Anita. Uh-huh. I'll be looking for your bulldog, honey. She got she got a, more than one book out. You gotta look her yeah. up now. Right. Look her all up right, now. All right. And we're gonna have Dr. Thank you, counselor. Yeah. We're gonna have back, Dr. Yeah. <laughs>
So we and you know what, you. Jay, I want to invite um, invite people in Michigan and all over the country um, tap into uh, wait. I always want to say tap into you, Doctor Anita, but tap into <laughs> tap into G one hundred Wing Oneness and Wisdom. Ooh. Women are connecting all over the world. I am the Michigan State Chair. And I am looking for women who want to empower women. We want to see each other grow. We grow in love and connection. That's all That's you need. Right. That's right. right. We're all one big family. Yeah. That's, That's right. right. That's right. That's Amen. Right. All, right. all right. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Blessings. All right. Oh, hold all on, you guys. Love I you guys. Wait, before we go, I had a couple of announcements. I cannot forget these announcements. Okay. <laughs> okay, so the first announcement is Allie, who is um, often a host here, um, Oakland County Democratic Party. She's having an uh, African-American reparations series. Uh, part one starts on October the 10th, and it's from 6 to 7 p.m. Um, you can check her out on Facebook or um, the link. Uh, above, um, below the on the flyer where you can go in and um, RSVP for this conversation. And also, I could not leave before I tell you guys about the 2022 Run for Conviction Annual Summit. Uh, it's coming up on October the 29th from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. And to get more information about this summit, you can register on Eventbrite or you can check out Survivor Speaks Facebook page for more details. So again, thank you guys for joining us and we'll see you back next week. Much love.